Section 48 of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 13, Henry VIII, by James Gardner, Part 5. In 1536, James went to France under engagement to marry Mary of Bourbon, daughter of the Duke of Vendôme, but the lady did not please him, and he actually married Madeleine, eldest daughter of Francis I, at Paris in January 1537. He took her with him to Scotland, but she died in the following July. Next year he married Mary, eldest daughter of the duke of guise and widow of the duke of longueville thus he was still strongly bound to france but france remained on good terms with england and james had no desire to disturb the existing tranquillity in fifteen forty one died two infant princes to whom mary had given birth and also james's mother margaret the queen dowager Another child was expected in 1542, the year at which we have now arrived, when Henry, as we have said, was scheming to get Scotland completely under his power. In the spring, Sir Thomas Wharton, deputy warden of the West Marches, submitted to the king and his council a proposal to kidnap James while he was somewhere near Dumfries and to bring him to Henry the project however was disapproved as dangerous and sure to be attended with scandal if it failed in july the outbreak of war between francis and the emperor cut off scotland from any hope of aid from france against english aggression and while james was anxious for a conference between commissioners of both realms to put down border raids sir robert bowes was sent down to the border and arranged with angus an invasion of teviotdale it took place on august twenty four when the english burned several places but on their return they were caught in an ambuscade at haddon rig sir robert bowes and most of the leaders being taken prisoners angus however escaped that very day in total ignorance of this reverse in the north the privy council were making preparations for a more considerable invasion under norfolk the news of bowes's defeat made englishmen all the more eager to avenge it but james had done nothing to provoke war his ambassador was still in the english court desiring a passport for a larger embassy to treat of peace and though he hardly met with due civility a meeting was at length arranged which took place at york in september between commissioners on both sides but musters were made at the same time all over england and as henry would accept no terms without free delivery of the prisoners taken by the scots and renunciation of their alliance with france the result was war after it was begun henry published a manifesto in his own justification in which james was reproached with having shown ingratitude for the protection afforded to him in his early years by declining to meet henry at york the english king also revived the old claim of superiority over scotland 
the duke of norfolk crossed the border in october and burned kelso and laid waste the neighboring country but was obliged to return to berwick in eight days for lack of victuals an army suddenly raised by james was only able to skirmish with the invaders and harass their retreat james would have pursued them further to revenge the injury but the nobles objected and he returned to edinburgh he was warned not to risk his life being childless in dangerous expeditions but in november he passed secretly to the west borders as far as loch maben and directed lord maxwell the warden there with the earls of cassillis and glencairn and other lords to invade england near the solway they entered the debatable land by night in numbers reckoned at about seventeen thousand and burned some places on the esk before daybreak on november twenty four but horton at carlisle having got notice of the project sallied out first with a small company to reconnoitre and when others following brought up his numbers to about two thousand he crossed the levin in view of the enemy the scots believing that the duke of norfolk had come upon them began to withdraw discharging ordnance to cover their retreat which they could only effect by fording the esk with a moss on their left hand but the retreat soon became a rout many were drowned in the esk only twenty were slain and about twelve hundred prisoners were taken including two earls and five barons deeply mortified with this disgraceful defeat james withdrew to edinburgh and then to falkland where he remained ill and dejected while news was brought him that his queen at linlithgow had borne him a daughter on december eight he had no comfort in the news and died on the fourteenth the child was mary stuart who thus became queen when only a week old on hearing of her father's death henry liberated the solway moss prisoners from the tower and called his pensioners the earl of angus and his brother to a conference with them proposing a treaty between the two kingdoms with provisions for the future marriage of prince edward with the newborn babe who was to be brought up in england till she reached marriageable age having given pledges to promote this design the scotch lords were allowed to return to their country for which they set out on new year's day fifteen forty three honoured with great gifts upon their departure meanwhile cardinal Baton had claimed the government of scotland under an alleged will of the deceased king but this being treated as a forgery the claims of the earl of arran as next in the succession were admitted by the nobles and Baton was thrown into prison hereupon the cardinal laid the kingdom under interdict nevertheless arran called a parliament which met at edinburgh on march twelve and in the main favoured henry's policy for the marriage in itself was generally approved the douglases were restored to their estates and the influence of Baton being excluded an act was passed to permit the use of english bibles but the english king's demand for the control of the young queen during her childhood was absolutely refused 
as likewise was another for the surrender of fortresses in scotland and a little later sir george douglas being sent up with the earl of glencairn for an adjustment henry agreed that the royal child should remain in scotland till she was ten years old sufficient hostages meanwhile remaining for her at the english court to this in effect the scotch lords were brought though with difficulty to consent in the beginning of june and by the efforts of glencairn and sir george douglas two treaties were concluded at greenwich on july one for peace and for the marriage this arrangement offered a fair show of an international settlement but there were secret articles apart from the treaty which henry was getting his friends in scotland to sign and by which he hoped to keep the government of the country entirely in his power meanwhile however cardinal Baton had been released from prison on april ten matthew earl of lennox who had just come from france son of that earl who had entered edinburgh with angus in fifteen twenty four sought to supplant arran both as governor and in the succession to the crown and argyle and bothwell joined the party to protect the rights of the queen dowager and the independence of the country meanwhile henry having obtained another heavy subsidy from parliament had concluded on february eleven a secret treaty with the emperor against france which was still unavowed when confirmed first by the emperor in spain march thirty one and then by henry at hampton court on trinity sunday may twenty but joint demands were formulated to be made of francis by heralds of the emperor and henry at once francis however refused passports to the heralds to enter his country and the demands were intimated in london to the french ambassador then on july seven sir john wallop was appointed commander of a detachment which joined the emperor at the siege of landrecy where however the joint efforts of the allies though prolonged for months proved a total failure just after wallop's departure the king on july twelve married his sixth and last wife catherine parr england won little glory from the campaign abroad though strengthened by henry's alliance the emperor was able in september to bring the duke of cleves into subjection open war with france rendered henry's designs on scotland more difficult to secure the aid of arran he had made him the most splendid offers that he should have the princess elizabeth as a bride for his son and that he should himself be king of scotland beyond the fourth but Aaron could not easily withstand the growing feeling of suspicion against England, and though he ratified the treaty with Henry at Holyrood on August 25, in presence of a number of the nobility, he had, even before that date, resigned the charge of the infant queen and her mother to the cardinal and his friend. He then sought a meeting and reconciliation with the cardinal at Falkirk, where he abjured his protestant heresies immediately afterwards on september nine they crowned the child at stirling as queen henry's anger was intense but the feeling of the scots against england was still more aggravated by the discovery that 
some Scotch merchant ships, whose safety ought to have been secured by the treaty, had been arrested at an English port on the plea that they were carrying victuals to France. Henry, moreover, let the two months expire within which he should have ratified the treaty, so that the Scots justly felt they had been deluded. Early in October, a French fleet arrived at Dumbarton with money to oppose the designs of England. With it also came a French ambassador, La Brosse, and a papal legate, Cardinal Grimani. But the Earl of Lennox at once intercepted the money, and, to maintain his opposition to Arran, left the party of France and joined that of Henry. In September, while professing peace with Scotland, Henry had meditated a further outrage by an invasion under the Duke of Suffolk, but this was wisely forborne. The Scottish people were already deeply incensed, and the English ambassador, Sir Ralph Sadler, had to leave Edinburgh for his own safety and take refuge in Angus's castle of Tantalum. In December, the Scotch Parliament met, declared the treaties with England no longer binding, and renewed the old league with France. Henry immediately sent a herald to Scotland with a threatening and reproachful message to be read to the estates. It was received by the governor after the Parliament had been dissolved. It apparently helped to bring about a formal agreement which Angus and Lennox made with him on January 13, 1544, and in which the earls of Cassillis and Glencairn likewise took part, all promising to unite against the old enemy, England. But the same lords presently asked England's aid to support them in their own country, and a treaty was signed at Carlisle on May 17, by Glencairn and by the Bishop of Caithness in behalf of Lennox, binding them to procure Henry's appointment as protector of Scotland, to put the chief fortresses of the country into his hands, and, if possible, to get possession of the young queen's person and convey her to England. Lennox was then to have the regency of Scotland, and to marry Henry's niece, Margaret Douglas. This marriage actually took place in the following summer, and Darnley was born of it next year. But already, at the beginning of the same month of May, a fleet of two hundred sail under John Dudley, Viscount Lyle, had appeared in the Firth of Forth and landed an army under the Earl of Hertford. The Earl first captured Leith, then burned Edinburgh and Leith also, and re-embarked in less than a fortnight, leaving a detachment to return to Berwick by land, which likewise wasted and burned everything on its way. Having thus dealt an effective blow at Scotland, which was followed up in the summer and autumn by continual ravages of the border, with destruction of towns and villages on a scale quite unprecedented, Henry crossed on July 14 to the siege of Boulogne, which was formed before his arrival. It had been agreed, after some disputes, that this time the emperor and the king should operate against the common enemy separately, and joined their forces at Paris. The siege of Boulogne, which was very protracted, was not quite in accordance with this plan. The emperor advanced into the heart of France, and captured Saint-Dizier after a six weeks' siege. 
but in default of active support from his ally on september eighteen he made a separate peace with francis at crepy and england was left to carry on the war alone boulogne had capitulated on september fourteen another siege that of montreuil was abandoned in which count van buren had been engaged with the duke of norfolk the king crossed again to dover on the thirtieth in october after the failure of a french attempt to recover boulogne by surprise conferences took place at calais through the mediation of the emperor but peace could not be established as the french insisted on the restoration of boulogne and the english on a promise to render no further assistance to the scots the league between henry and the emperor had been hollow from the first nor had it then been easily adjusted the objects of the allies being entirely different henry had foreseen long before he entered on it that his scottish policy would involve a war with france the emperor desired if he could not drive the turks out of hungary at least to break up the shameful alliance between them and the french king the pope meanwhile was urging both the emperor and francis to peace so that a general council might meet to put down heresy that of england most of all and now that peace was made the council was appointed to meet at trent in march fifteen forty five england being thus isolated her resources were now put to a severe strain henry had already at the beginning of the year fifteen forty four been absolved by parliament from repayment of the forced loan he had levied two years before and it was not in this year that he began to debase the currency on may sixteen however he issued a proclamation enhancing gold and silver that is raising the rate of the coins to prevent their being exported for the quality of the english coinage at this date was still high and it was consequently in much demand in other countries but before another twelvemonth had expired a debased currency was issued which was afterwards lowered still further meanwhile in june of this year a loan was obtained from the city of london by the mortgage of some crown lands and in january fifteen forty five a new benevolence was demanded for the wars of france and scotland for the subjugation of the latter country henry had relied chiefly on the aid of the douglases and of the scotch heretics who hated cardinal Bayton and desired the overthrow of the monasteries and the church but the douglases were double dealers and since hertford's burning of edinburgh when the governor released them from confinement to serve against the common enemy they had shown so much loyalty to their country that they were absolved from attainder by the scottish parliament in december the king on this gave ear to a project of sir ralph evers and brian Layton for subduing the domains of the douglases together with the whole country south of forth in february fifteen forty five accordingly evers and Layton raided the scotch border in the usual fashion as far as melrose where they wrecked the abbey and violated the tombs of the douglases angus and arran however met them at ancrum moor near jedborough 
and with greatly inferior numbers routed the english host taking prisoners the leaders and some hundreds of their followers the war between france and england still went on but was attended with little advantage to either side marshal dubiez formed the siege of boulogne in january but as england commanded the sea it was ineffectual and though renewed efforts were made in the summer they were equally fruitless the french indeed collected a great fleet under annebault and entered the solin where a squadron drawn up at portsmouth was unable for some time to attack them for lack of wind in preparing for action moreover the english lost a fine vessel the mary rose which heeled over by accident and sank before the king's eyes almost all her crew being drowned the french on the other hand would have attacked the fleet in portsmouth harbour but could not approach with safety and though they overran part of the isle of wight they were soon driven out they were then carried eastward off the sussex coast which they attacked with little effect and after an indecisive action in the channel ending at nightfall they retired to their own coast the siege of boulogne was then abandoned and in september lord lyle landed in normandy and burned treport but sickness had broken out in the fleet and it returned that same september the earl of hertford invaded the scotch marches took kelso home melrose and dryburgh and even outdid previous works of destruction between the eighth and the twenty-third of the month he demolished seven monasteries sixteen castles towers or piles five market towns two hundred forty three villages thirteen mills and three hospitals in november parliament met and besides granting the king a new and heavy subsidy put at his disposal the property of all hospitals colleges and chantries to meet the cost of the wars oxford and cambridge took alarm but received assurances that they should be spared there were limits evidently that even henry would not exceed there was also a heresy bill brought forward in the house of lords which after much discussion was read no less than five times and then passed unanimously but apparently it was rejected in the commons for it did not become law on christmas eve the king in person prorogued parliament and is recorded to have delivered a remarkable speech in which he referred to the prevalent disputes about religion and urged more charity and forbearance in the autumn there had seemed to be a prospect of peace with france for peace the french were anxious if henry could be induced to give up boulogne the emperor offered his services as mediator but a conference at brussels led to no result because though the whole english council was in favour of the surrender henry himself was firmly opposed to it the emperor was not greatly distressed by the failure but sought to renew and strengthen his treaty with england as the unexpected death of the duke of orleans at this time upset some arrangements in the peace of crepy and he was determined on keeping milan to himself another set of mediators also offered their services the german protestants who though quite alienated from henry for years past by the act of the six articles 
and the divorce from Anne of Cleves, were alarmed by the near approach of the general council summoned to meet at Trent, which did in fact open its first session in December. Anxious to discredit the council, it was important for them to make peace between England and France, and in November they sent deputies to a conference at Calais, which, though continued into the next month, proved as ineffectual as that at Brussels. Direct negotiations, however, took place between English and French commissioners in May 1546, with the result that peace was finally concluded at Camp between Ardres and Guignes on June 7, on conditions severe enough for Francis, binding him to pay all the old pensions due to England and a further sum of two million crowns for war expenses at the end of eight years boulogne was to be retained in henry's hands till all was paid but some points were left to be adjusted later on and henry agreed to the comprehension of the scots provided they would be bound by the treaties of fifteen forty three meanwhile he had just achieved one great object in scotland which he had been clandestinely pursuing for years in order to get a more complete command of the country this was the murder of cardinal Baton. he was aided by factions political and religious within the country for the cardinal had caused one george wishart to be burned as a heretic in front of his castle at st andrews on march two and Wishart's friends swore to revenge his death. Early in the morning of May 29, a party of them entered the castle when the drawbridge was down to admit workmen, struck down the porter and threw him into the fosse, then forced the door of the cardinal's chamber, killed him, and hung out his body over the walls. The event caused Angus, Maxwell, and others to renounce the English alliance and strengthened the governor's hands against the insurgents. But the castle of St. Andrews was a strong fortress, and could not be starved out, as the English, in whose interest it was really held, had the command of the sea. Towards the close of the year, the persons chiefly implicated in the murder escaped to London, and those within made a capitulation with the besiegers, that they would surrender as soon as an absolution came from rome for the guilty parties but this was a mere policy to draw off the besieging forces for england had no intention of losing its hold on st andrews the state of the king's health was now becoming critical and in the prospect of a minority there was some speculation as to who should have the rule of his successor by virtue of his birth norfolk seemed highly eligible and it appears that his son the earl of surrey the poet not only spoke of this privately but had a shield painted with an alteration in his coat of arms suitable only for an heir apparent to the crown which he kept secret from all but his father and his sister the countess of richmond the matter however became known and he and his father were both arrested on december twelve and committed to the tower norfolk signed a confession of guilt on january twelve fifteen forty seven next day surrey was tried at the guildhall and he was executed on the nineteenth against norfolk 
a bill of attainder was passed in parliament and only awaited the royal assent for which a commission was drawn on the twenty seventh but the king died that night and the duke was saved the reign of henry the eighth has left deeper marks on succeeding ages than any other reign in english history nothing is more extraordinary than that within less than a century after fortescue had written in praise of the constitution and laws of england a despotism so complete should have been set up in that very country but it was a despotism really built upon the forms of the constitution and due mainly to the remarkable ability of the unscrupulous king himself who was careful to disturb nothing that did not really stand in his way the enigma in fact becomes quite intelligible when we consider how much weight the constitution itself allowed to the personal views of a very able sovereign england was but a country of limited extent without colonies or even dependencies except ireland or any continental possession save calais to frame a policy for such a nation required little more than one good diplomatic head and when that head was the king's there was not much chance of controlling him henry the eighth was really a monarch of consummate ability who if his course had not been misdirected by passion and selfishness would have left a name behind him as the very founder of england's greatness not only was his judgment strong and clear but he knew well how to select advisers to talk of parliamentary control is out of the question the king called parliament only when he wanted money or when he wished despotic measures passed with a semblance of popular sanction but the forms of parliamentary legislation and control were kept up and thus with weaker kings and a more effective popular sentiment the ancient assembly afterwards proved able to recover all and more than all its former authority End of section 48. Recording by Linda Johnson.